media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, every year it happens at this time. Basketball teams from all over the nation, big, small, come together to play for the NCAA Basketball College Championships and uh, March Madness, as it's known. How many of you fill out a bracket, either uh, among family, uh, at work, uh, just for fun? Uh, how many of y'all fill out a bracket? Okay, I do see a few hands, so I'm at least going in a little bit of the right direction. I told the elders this morning, this is either going to fail miserably uh, or it's going to make sense. So far, I'm in between. <laughs> well, as you, you know, as you can imagine, you know, 68 teams come together and, uh, they get down to the final 64 and then we have this bracket and, and everybody's seated. You know, the number one teams, there's four number one teams and there's four 16 seed teams. And, you know, a lot of people, they begin to bring, uh, fill out their bracket kind of based on both their, their love for a certain team, uh, or maybe, okay, no, number one's gonna beat number 16. And so we kind of fill it out and uh, we kind of hope for the best, whether it's something at the office, something that we're doing family, or just a bunch of friends getting together. We, we kind of do our best guess. Well, all of a sudden, you know, we, they start playing the games and you have upsets. All of a sudden you have some teams that were not expected to win to win some games. And a lot of people say, my bracket's already blown. It's the first day of the tournament. My bracket is already blown to bits. And, and a lot of you may have identified with that if you truly are one of those that, that filled out a bracket. Because this year, you've had favorite teams like Purdue and Kansas not even making it to the final 16. You had other ones that were just, you know, you never even heard of the school. Uh, I mean, we're familiar with Kennesaw State, but most of the nation isn't. And all of a sudden, they're in there, and while they didn't win, they came really, really close. And so it's all kind of unpredictable. In fact, there was somebody that, um, you know, kind of put the numbers together, and they began to, to see just the odds of this. And it was one of those things that, uh, you know, going, okay, Pastor, what does this have to do with our Easter series, this path to the cross? Well, well let me connect the two. Because last week we see saw that right after the fall, of mankind to sin, where they, they disobeyed God and they went their own way, that God already pronounces the gospel. In Genesis 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And you're going, okay, this just uh, doesn't come out and say, okay, one day Jesus is going to do fatal damage to Satan. But as we interpret that, as we begin to see how that fits into everything, that's exactly what the promise was. The immediacy of our need, that is that we were separated from a holy God because of our sin, God had an answer. And it wasn't an answer that he just made up really quickly. No, it was an answer that the Bible says before the foundation of the world, this was his plan. And the confidence that I believe that that should give to us is that God is not a reactionary God. He's a purposeful God. You and I, we always react. When we pick out teams to, to go to the NCAA, at best we do educated guess. Well, today I want to connect kind of that because, you know, this promise, this prophecy that God uh, would give us and throughout the Old Testament that the Savior would come and redeem us from our sins. Do you know that there's over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Christ's coming? I mean, some of them are concerning his birth, that he was going to be born in this 
place that wasn't even on the map, this town called Bethlehem. Now, you and I know that. We've read the Bible, and we're going, okay, the little town of Bethlehem. We made a song about it. And yet, it would have been insignificant when it was actually predicted and prophesied. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. We see all these different things concerning his birth, his life, and his death throughout the Old Testament, some centuries and centuries before they would ever happen, and yet God brings it together. Now, what does this have to do with March Madness in the bracket? Let me connect the two. The odds of correctly predicting a perfect bracket are 1 in 9.2 quintillion. Okay? To get that right. Now, in case you're not familiar with quintillion, no, that's not the new national debt. Uh, maybe we're fast approaching it. I, I don't know. But uh, a quintillion is a billion billions. Can you Can you even begin to wrap your mind around that? The likelihood of getting this right from the very beginning, if you just took a coin out and flipped at every game, is 1 and 9.2 quintillion. What is uh, a good illustration for that? Well, a group of researchers at the University of Hawaii uh, estimated that there are 7.5 quintillion grains of sand on Earth. Okay, not 9.2, but 7.5. And what if they dotted one grain of sand? And then hit it somewhere in the world. And you had to find, you had to pick one piece of sand and you just happened to pick that. That's the kind of astronomical odds that we're talking about. We say, well, Bobby, you know, but yeah, for the most part though, number one teams are going to beat the number 16 teams. And, you know, the number two teams going to beat the number 15 teams. Well, even if you still do that, it only brings those odds down a little bit. Now stay with me. Why would I mention that this morning? Why would I take two or three minutes of a sermon this morning and talk about the NCAA bracket? Well, I want you to know that nobody has ever pulled that 100% correct. No viable person who has ever done that. The closest that they came was back in 1990, uh, or 2019. Uh, there was a neuropsychologist uh, uh, that predicted the first 49 games correctly And then as it started getting into the Sweet 16, about halfway through that mess, that's the closest that anybody has ever gotten. In other words, it's it's impossible. I mean, statistically may not be possible, but probably impossible. Well, Pastor, I'm still failing to see the connection here. Somebody kind of took that same motive and they looked out not in reaction to the bracket that we have for March Madness, but they took those 300 prophecies about Jesus and they began to do the numbers. And they said, okay, if you took those three different, 300 different prophecies in the Old Testament, what is the likelihood that one man could do all 300 of those? Not just one of them or two of them or five of them or 10 of them. And do you know what number they came up with? That number right there. I'm just going to say it this way. Uh, 10 to the 17th power, <laughs> okay? Instead of trying to put some kind of other thing. Uh, okay, what's a good illustration of that? Well, there's this apologist, this guy who wanted to prove the things of the Bible or, you know, show the substantial proof that we have for all these things. And they did the numbers. And they said, if you went to the state of Texas, how many of y'all been to Texas before? Yeah. Uh, that's where I went to seminary. 
and leaving out of Atlanta, you would drive and drive and drive and drive, and finally you would see the Texas border, and you're going, we're almost there. No, you are halfway there. And Fort Worth is maybe at most halfway in Texas. Texas is a really big state. And they said, okay, that number, this number right here, can we go to that next slide? If you took silver dollars and you put them all the way across Texas, from border to border, north to south, east to west, and you stack them two feet tall, all the way across, and then you marked one, and you had to try to pick out that one. That's the odds that this apologist found of one man fulfilling all 300 different prophecies about this Christ that's there in the, in the Old Testament. All these predictions, all these promises, all these prophecies. Now, why do I say all that this morning? Because, folks, I want you to know that as we look through the Scripture and we begin to see prophecies in the Old Testament, it's one of the biggest validations that we have that God has a plan, that God has a story, that God's working through His creation a plan for eternity. I don't know about you, but you know, the Bible makes it really clear that we're to be people of faith. But as we've said many times, have you noticed that your faith life kind of goes up and down? And sometimes when there's a lot of blessing in your life and God just is sunshining all over your place, that your faith is kind of up because you just see the goodness of God. But sometimes we get challenged when we're in kind of the, the, the crevices of life, when we're kind of down there and things are not going our way. That old phrase, why do Bad things happen to good people. Well, again, as we've said before, that's not really a true biblical question because we're not good people. We're sinners, and we can do some good actions, but we're not inherently good. We're inherently, by birth, sinners. And so it's kind of a failed concept, but even if we could go along with that, isn't that where you kind of struggle? When you see people that are just faithful and loving and kind, and all of a sudden bad things happen to them? And so the, the validity of that question isn't scripturally true, but it makes sense to us as humans. And so all of a sudden, our faith goes down. And we ride this up and down because of our own valleys and our own victories. That we begin to say, okay, God, you're good. Well, God, I'm wondering this morning if you're good, because why did these things happen to me? We're called to be people of faith. And I want you to know this morning, folks, it is not a blind faith. It is faith. It's the substance of things not seen, the writer of Hebrews would say. But but it's not a blind faith. History tells us that there really was this man called Jesus. And he proclaimed to be the very Son of God. And he made all these other teachings and proclamations. In fact, the, the boldest one, no man can come to the Father. Nobody can be right with God except through me. He didn't say, okay, I'm just one of many messiahs. I'm one of many ways. Jesus Christ pronounced himself the only messiah. And he said, You're, I'm the only way that you can be made right with the holy God. There's nothing to be more exclusive than that in all of human history. But I want you to know that it's not because Jesus woke up one day and said, you know, I've decided to do this. But throughout history, we see that God is working these things. From little predictions, and I say little only because you're going, okay, that could be interpreted a lot of different ways, Bobby. And and I'll give you that. For example, Exodus 12, 46. Start with a very general 
prophecy of the Old Testament. We saw some of this in our Advent series at Christmas, how Christ was the Passover lamb. But look what it says in Exodus twelve forty six, Talking about the Passover lamb. It shall not be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. And you shall not break any of its bones. Do you see that last part? Many scholars believe that that's a prophecy of this Passover lamb. Remember we said that Christ is ultimately the Passover lamb? And that in his death and in his crucifixion, they would not break any of his bones. Now, did they break any of his bones upon the cross? They didn't. You might say, well, that's kind of general. It could be, I'll give you that. And if you were a skeptic this morning and we were having, you know, a respectful illustration, I would say, yeah, you're right. That could be interpreted a lot of different ways. But as we start to put these 300 prophecies, and we're not going to cover all 300 today. (laughs) We're going to be able to see that it's it's kind of like a funnel. And it gets more and more specific and more and more specific and more and more specific. Some of the prophecies have a little bit more detail. Look at Zechariah 9 and 11. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Does that sound familiar? Christ, the triumph of entry, what we'll celebrate in the next week, that Christ comes in. Now you say, okay, again, couldn't they have kind of predicted that? Maybe, but but do you notice that they say a king is coming and then he's going to be coming on a donkey? No, a king comes in on a steed, on this big horse, on the, you know, the, the biggest horse that you have. This would have not been the norm. And so to predict this would have been abnormal. And yet, that's exactly what Jesus does. Well, let's go to Zechariah eleven thirteen. Then the Lord said to me, "Throw it to the potter, the lordly price of what I uh, at which I was priced by them." So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. What's significant in that passage, that prophecy? Thirty pieces of silver. Now, guys, I'll be the first one to tell you. And admit to you that if I was a prosecutor, I probably cannot get a jury to say guilty as charged at this point. I probably can't convince them on this. But it's where we begin to take the, the culmination of all 300 of those different prophecies. And we begin to put them together and we come away with a verdict that this is the Christ. One out of, what was it, 10 to the 17th power or something? That one man could fulfill all of these? We are people of faith. But guys, we are not people of blind faith. We have the word of God. I mean, if, in Romans it says, even if we look out in creation, there's a testimony of God. There's an order there that tells us there is a higher being. There's somebody had to do this. But then when we get into the intimacy of the gospel, that this God not only made us, but that he made a provision for us to have relationship with him, and we begin to say that he clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us, and we see that it wasn't just a response to Adam and Eve's sin, but that from the very beginning, before the creation of the world, God was working his plan. If you go back to the original illustration 
I, there's probably only a few people that predicted that Princeton could might beat Arizona. There's probably only a few that would say, okay, maybe this team now that they're playing pretty good can go on and beat Missouri. But how many of them could predict that some of these other victories where a number 16 team beat a number one team? I mean, you said, well, you're just lucky. Is it lucky that all these Old Testament prophecies kind of come together and find fulfillment in Jesus Christ? Or is there a sovereign providential God who is working his plan through the ages? If you go with that second answer, here's the hope. Here's how to make that personal. Number one, that he's working that plan of salvation for you. He's provided for you, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. But here's the other thing. In all of your pinball life back and forth, does that describe some people's lives today? I mean, it seems like you hit here and you hit it. That's been my life the last three weeks with the situation with my mom and some other things going on in our personal lives. It's like, okay, we can't even, we don't even know what direction to look. And so we're always responding to either the information we've been given or the lack of information that we've been given. And you feel desperate at that time. I feel overwhelmed. I told my mom this week, I, I Confession, I, I got a little frustrated. I said, Mom, right now, I, I don't feel like I'm doing my job well. I don't think I'm doing marriage well. And I don't think that we're caring for you well. I said, I feel torn in about 13 different places. Some of you have been there. You, you know that you identify with that. Some of you are there right now. Maybe you're the father of that situation in the sense that you have children that you're just trying to, to get them through all these different things in life. Maybe you're the mother. Maybe you're the, the son or the daughter taking care of elderly parents. Here's the hope that we have. That in all of our unknownness, there's a sovereign and providential God that knows everything. That loved us so much that he sent one to redeem us. If he was willing to clothe himself in flesh and that his only son was willing to die for us, how much more is he going to work out those details of finances or relationships or what do we do with mom? What's the next step? Does that make sense, guys? Please do not disconnect your spiritual convictions from your practical life. God didn't say, okay, here's your Sunday morning hour. Think spiritually. Now go back to the real world. Jesus Christ took on a real body, lived in a real world, died a real death so that you and I could have hope in a real world, guys. Please do not disconnect your spirituality and your, your theology from the application that it has on everyday life. Because Christ didn't, and God sure hasn't. Let me give you a couple more. I wish we had time to go through all 300. You probably don't, but I, I would love to do all 300. But let me do a few more. We'll, we'll go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, written centuries before the time of Christ. David wrote this particular psalm. And, and from the very first verse, we begin to see something that we're familiar with. Look what he says in, in Psalm 22.1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever heard that before? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? A prophecy? 
And yet it was reality of where David was in his life. He didn't disconnect this big picture of God working his providence and his sovereignty over the whole world from what he was going through in his own life. And, and, and so we see this as a prophecy. We see them fulfilled in the Gospels of uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can go find verses where Christ on the cross is saying these very words. But again, I always want to be fair. I want to be respectful. What if the spect- uh, you know, a skeptic said, well, Bobby, Jesus was trying to pull off this whole Messiah thing? And I'm thinking that he knew the Old Testament and he knew that this was kind of something that was supposed to be said on the cross. And so when the time came, he just kind of blurts that out. I give you that. But I don't know, after all the physical beatings, after all the things that were going on that they did to Jesus Christ, the the fact that he could even say something is pretty much a miracle. And that he would be able at that time to quote And if he was a liar, to keep the lie going just to fool everybody, that's a stretch of the imagination. As many apologists have said, it takes more faith for me to disbelieve this Jesus of the Bible than it does to believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Because all the things I just know, you know, there's no way that this could have really happened. But, but let's be fair. Matthew 27, 46, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sacbatini, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did he have that kind of written on his wrist? I'm not trying to be silly, guys. Did he have it on his wrist? Okay, oh yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to say this. Or in that moment of intense pain, he's about to take on the sins of the world with God fulfilling prophecy. So that people of faith that sometimes have small faith can be increased in their faith because we know that God is working a sovereign plan. Look back at Psalms 22. And all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. In other words, if you really are the Christ... Call out to Father and he'll rescue you. Did that happen in the New Testament? Look at Matthew 27, verses 41 through 43. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mock him saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he so desires. For he said that I'm the son of God. Centuries before, David writes this. Centuries later, Christ fulfilled it. Yeah, but, Bobby, what if he's again just kind of, he knows that Old Testament prophecy and he's just kind of doing it. Well, now we just involved a whole different element though, did we? The chief priests and the scribes. Do they want prophecy to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ? No. If there's anybody that's against this looking like he truly is the Messiah, it's the chief priest and the scribe. And yet, who's doing the talking here? Does it make sense to you? you, I mean, is the puzzle coming together? Even if you said, well, Jesus kind of had that written down, Jesus was kind of ready for the moment, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we've introduced another element that would not have been a voluntary participation 
in trying to make sure that Old Testament prophecy came true. It's the last thing they wanted. They knew that it had been predicted that he would rise from the dead. What did they do? They sealed the tomb. These are not people that are going along with some scheme. These people are opposing it. And yet, God, prophetically, centuries before, they will mock him. And they will say, if you truly are the son of God, if God really loves you, then let him get you off of that cross. And then we see it portrayed in the very words of Christ afterwards. Uh, Psalm 22, let's go back to verse 16 now. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. What part of that stands out? Now again, all this is in Psalms 22. So it's not like we're just, before we were picking a verse here and picking a verse here. Here, one chapter is telling us all these different events about the cross. What stands out in that verse? Crucifixion wasn't developed until centuries later. It's not like they would have had familiarity. It's not like David said, you know, this crucifixion thing, and you know, they pierce your hands and your feet. This is normal. It was not invented yet. And yet here he predicts this is the very way that Christ will be hung upon a cross. Uh, let's go one more, and then we'll close. Psalm 22, verse 18. And they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? Look at Mark fifteen twenty four, And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Now, who's doing this? The Roman soldiers. Do the Roman soldiers want to verify prophecy? And really, everybody go, you know, this really is the Messiah. This is not willing participants, guys. If you're a skeptic and you say, well, maybe Jesus was just kind of, he knew that he was supposed to say this on the cross and somehow he got the stamina to do that. Uh, I give you, maybe he did. But the chief priests and, and, and all these others, they're not part, they don't want to be a part of this and yet they are. Pontius Pilate did not want to be a part of it and yet he is. The Roman soldiers that, that fulfill this Old Testament centuries written before, that they're going to take his clothing and they're going to cast lots and divide it, they are participants in what God is doing. Again, I could go on. That's about six out of the 300. And we could go on literally for hours and days. But I hope that even in this sample that we would see that this isn't just Jesus trying to, to pull one over in everybody. No, we have other participants that would not have wanted for anybody there to say this really was the Messiah. The priests didn't want it. The Roman soldiers didn't want it. And yet God is working his plan for his goodwill, for his glory, and for our redemption. Folks, we are people of faith. but we are not people of blind faith. God has not cast us into a place where he says, okay, just believe anything that comes along. No, through the record of the Bible, even through the record of human history, 
But we see that Christ really did exist. This one, this Jesus of Nazareth, really was a real man, and he claimed to be the Messiah, God's son. And in that proclamation, he always also said that he was the only way to be made right with the holy God. Your faith and my faith is going to go up and down with the circumstances of life. But I pray this morning, my prayer for us this morning, my prayer for me in my struggling right now, being very frustrated with a lot of situations. God, you are a God of providence, a God of purpose, and a God of power. And that's where I will rest with all the questions flowing through my head this morning. That's where I will rest. That God is working his perfect plan. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you that you defied the odds. And we can say things like, well, if if you took silver dollars and you put them two feet high across the state of Texas and you had to find one, Father, we can do all kinds of little silly illustrations. All the grains of sand across the whole world and pick out one. Father, our, our, our mind gets blown away. There's no way we can grasp the odds, but you are the God that defied the odds. In one man, Christ Jesus, you fulfilled every prophecy, 300 plus prophecies in one man. So Father, today, thank you that you've called us to be people of faith. But Father, you have given us reason for faith. The substance of things not seen. And so, Father, I pray for our congregation today. I pray for us as a people. I pray for us as a a country and as a world, Father. Open our eyes to what you've put before us and the evidence of your word, the evidence of your son. And, Father, help us to see that if, if you truly are the God that can do all these things, then you are a God that I can truly trust with my life, my situations, my problems, my difficulties, my questions. We love you, Father. And we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for that beautiful, terrible cross. And we pray this all in the hope of the one who's our Lord, our Savior the one that every promise has been made yes and amen through him and his victory, Christ alone. Amen. We're going to stand as our closing prayer. We're going to sing that song. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.